Welcome, everyone, to the Behind the Budget Podcast. I'm Kushik Paul, and I'm joined by my co-host, Carl Cottingham. Carl, how are you doing this lovely holiday season? I'm doing well. I've got my Christmas tree up. I've got the lights up, and I'm just basking in the warmth of your company. God, I cannot imagine putting up a Christmas tree. It's I've done it a couple years. It's just so much work, and unless there's a little kid, it's just not worth the effort. Well, it actually is a little kit. My mother sent me a little fake tree that all I had to do was just pull up and boom, instant tree. Ooh, that's convenient. Have you been watching any movies? Yeah, I have actually. I actually saw Encanto uh, just last week. And I have seen Ghostbusters Afterlife and earlier in the month, The French Dispatch. Well, let's go one by one. Encanto, what did you think? Encanto was... Very a very beautifully made movie. I did not think the songs were quite as good as I had hoped. Although there is one in the middle that's about this uh, a fam uh, the uncle in the family that is like persona non grata that has the entire family singing how they felt about this guy that I thought was really good. Okay. Uh, I wanted to talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife because, man, I saw it with my nephew and we loved it. I'm, I, it actually reminded me a little bit of Cars to a certain extent where it kind of feels like 1950s Americana in some places. So you did get the not, Goonies vibe? Well, I got the Goonies vibe, like 1980s kids adventure movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so which... it's, like, it's like a kids movie, but it's done well for kids. It's not like dumbed down for kids. No, this is the old school kids movie from way back in the day before uh, the humor kind of became more lowbrow. Yeah, I love the main character of her name that Grace Grace McKenna plays. Um, But yeah, her character was great. We love that. What was the third movie you mentioned? I mentioned The French Dispatch. I'd rather talk about Tick, Tick, Boom, but go ahead. Talk about Um, French Dispatch. Okay, so it's uh, Wes Anderson's new movie. It's an anthology movie. It's based on his love for The New Yorker, and it's about the last issue of this little French newspaper funded by this Kansas man, and it has three stories. It's one about— How Wes Anderson is this Wes Anderson movie? It is very, very Wes Anderson. Okay. Like, Im- like somehow he injected himself with Wes Anderson steroids. Mm-hmm. Because it had, it's like the po- it's like the polar extreme of a Tim Burton movie flipped on its head. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see that, but I will have to say I just want to see West Side Story and Tick, Tick, Boom more than anything. I have heard nothing but good things about the new West Side Story, and I really do want to see that. I've heard nothing but good things about Tick, Tick, Boom. Can't wait to watch it. And it's on Netflix, so don't have much of an excuse. Yeah, me too. I do need to see that. Do you start Hawkeye? Um, I was going to wait a couple more weeks to just catch up on everything because I'm going to be on a plane in two weeks to, mm-hmm. for the holidays, and I was just going to binge most of the show then. Yeah, I feel like I've had my Marvel fix, especially with Spider-Man coming up, and I don't... 
want can to we like talk, talk more about it. Can we talk about how insane it was to get those tickets? Oh, yeah, that was a process. I just said, you know what? I'm in the middle of Maryland. There's no way I'm going to get it sold out. So I'm just going to wait till morning. People in New York had it worse. <laughs> like, I fought, like, I got my ticket for that Saturday night at a smaller theater, and I thought, oh, it's a smaller theater. Nobody's going to be crazy enough to crash the site. Wait, wait, and, you're, uh, you're crazy enough to get it Saturday night? No, uh, yeah, I was crazy enough to get it Saturday night because the theater offered meal and a movie. Now, see, if I'm not get, getting there Thursday, social media blackout, so I'm not going to be able to control myself. And I, you know how much I hate spoilers. I don't ever post anything about it, uh, about movies I've seen on Twitter. People or I follow will post spoilers, including you, Carl, who would like a spoiler of a show such as Falcon and Winter Soldier, and it shows up on my feed. So I I'm have gonna, to be a blackout. I'm just going to go ahead and maybe delete Twitter this weekend. Uh, ne the next weekend, I meant to say. You have more discipline than me. Uh, you you just need to control yourself. <laughs> Whatever. I've been having a lot of fun with video games, so with all the Black Friday sales picking up a few, but my main game has been Halo Infinite. The yeah. fact that that multiplayer is free to play, and, man, it is a great experience. It has been a very long time since I've played a Halo game. Like, I think the last time was Halo Reach, I want to say. Yeah, that is quite a while, quite a ways away. Yeah, yeah. you need uh, to jump on free to play. Get on your PC. Yeah, I'll get to that. Um, what else have you been playing? Honestly, not that much. Uh, Halo has been taking most of my time. Knockout City, that great dodgeball game, it's still going strong with me and my friends. Mm -hmm. But hey, Carl, I have some video game news to talk to you about because we have not talked about this for a while. And IGN has an entire timeline of the story up. But first, we'll go to NPR, who has a good uh, recap of the original story that broke. This is about the Blizzard Activision lawsuit, mainly for Blizzard. So this is from NPR, Joe Hernandez. A complaint filed by the State Department of Fair Employment and Housing on Wednesday alleges that Activision Blizzard Inc., quote, fostered a sexist culture, end quote, where women were paid less than men and subjected to ongoing sexual harassment, including groping. And it gets worse. So officials at the gaming company knew about the harassment and not only failed to stop it, but retaliated against women who spoke up, the complaint also alleges. The lawsuit alleges Activision Blizzard's female co-workers who spoke to investigators almost universally confirmed that their time at the company was akin to working in a frat house. They say male employees drank on the job and came to work hungover. The alleged sexual harassment ranged from comments about women's bodies and jokes about rape to the unwanted touching of female employees by their male peers. Women were allegedly paid less than men both when they were hired and during the course of their employment. They were also assigned to lower level positions and pass over for promotions despite doing more work than their male peers in, the same, in some cases. One woman said her manager told her she wouldn't be promoted because, quote, she might get pregnant and like being a mom too much, end quote. The sex discrimination was even worse for women of color, the suit claims. 
At least two African-American women reported being singled out and micromanaged. Some of the women who came forward with complaints of discrimination and harassment faced involuntary transfers were selected for layoffs or were denied certain opportunities, the suit said. So this is the original story that came out back in July 20, 2021. Okay. Just thoughts That's... on the original. Uh, how have heads not rolled for this yet? We'll get to that, but man... What an allegation to come out of the state investigation for this. But now we turn to IGN, where Adam Bankhurst, Joe Scrabbles, and many other authors have created a timeline to help us out, keep track of everything that has come out of this. So what we described was the initial lawsuit on July 20th, 2021. July 27th, Activision Blizzard C... Uh, Wait, I'm skipping a few. Let me make sure we're doing it correctly. All right, July 20th is when the story breaks out. July 21st, Activision Blizzard releases a heavily criticized official statement in response to the lawsuit. No surprise there. July 22nd, Blizzard President J. Allen Brack emails the staff to address the lawsuit. Doesn't go over quite as well, but... July 22nd, Activision Blizzard executive and former Homeland Security advisor to Bush, Fran, uh, Francis Towson, sends an internal email that is heavily criticized and spurs on walkouts and actions from Blizzard employees. July 24th, former Blizzard executives apologize for failing employees. Same old. July 25th, senior system designer on World of Warcraft says, quote, almost no work is being done on World of Warcraft, end quote, following the lawsuit. It's not looking good. July 27th, World of Warcraft will remove inappropriate references from WoW and WoW Classic. July 27th, Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick issues a response calling the company's initial statement tone deaf. We'll get back to him. July 27th oh, yes. to 28th. Activision Blizzard employees stage a walkout and list demands. His demands are very reasonable, by the way. July 28th, Ubisoft employees, another company under fire, sign letter supporting Activision Blizzard walkout demand better from Ubisoft. July 29th, Activision Blizzard confirms that former senior creative director Alex Af Afrasabi was fired in 2020. July 31st, security researcher reveals Blizzard recruiters harassed her at a job fair. August, 30, uh, August 3rd, Blizzard President J. Allen Brack steps down. And that's a key point where the head of Blizzard stop, steps down. And I want to add, announced by Blizzard, Brack will be replaced by co-leader Jen O'Neill and Mike Ybarra. I know uh, Mike was formerly head of technology at Xbox. He helped build the platform. I follow him. He's been a really good guy. Uh, Jen, I believe, was in charge of Vicarious Visions. Mm -hmm. So, w meanwhile, Mike Ibarra was more on the uh, the Battle.net and online services side. So his mm -hmm. had like more responsibility. But it's good that they put co-leadership on here. Uh, August 3rd, Activision Blizzard employees form coalition, reject CEO's choice of law firm. August 3rd, Activision Blizzard holds earnings call, lawsuit broadly avoided. No surprise there. August 6th, more Activision Blizzard fallout as advertisers reevaluate Overwatch League relationship. 
Okay, now it's hitting for the money. August 10th, Activision Blizzard Investment Group criticized the company, demands more. However, it must be said that investment group was very small. It didn't have that much ownership of Activision mm. Blizzard. August 11th, three senior Blizzard devs leave the company. That was a big deal. August 25th, HR accused of shredding documents. Textbook notes of what not to do at a company. August 27th, Overwatch will change name of character named after developer. As these big news items come along, there's always those chases of little things that just add to it. September 14th, former Disney exec hired to oversee HR and rebuild trust. 14th again, Activision Blizzard employees accuse company of union busting. Horrible practice. September 20th, SEC investigating Activision Blizzard and subpoenas Bobby Kotick. They allege, hey, you knew about these uh, sexual harassment claims and you didn't notify the board or the shareholders. Hey, these people, you're a publicly traded company. These investors deserve to know everything that's going on. September 21, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission reportedly discussing settlement with Activision Blizzard. They were supposed to be, I believe they worked out uh, a deal for the initial lawsuit worth $18 million. That all goes towards the employees, the back pay that they were owed. September 21st, Blizzard's chief legal officer leaves the company. Not a good sign. September 21st, executives in charge of Overwatch 2 leaves Blizzard. The main guy who's in charge of making Overwatch 2 leaves. Not a good sign. September 27th, Activision Blizzard settles the original lawsuit my mistake before was a different settlement this is the original settlement worth 18 million dollars that should go to the employees back pay october 12th activision blizzard lawsuits hits a major snag there have been some details that they're working through but i don't believe the settlement has been canceled yet it's just taking a little bit longer mm -hmm. october 19th after this whole settlement activision blizzard says more than 20 employees have been fired and more have been reprimanded because of these allegations. October 26, Blizzard cancels BlizzCon, BlizzCon line, plans to reimagine future events. November 2nd, Blizzard co-leader Jen O'Neill stepping down from position and leaving company. The per one of the two leaders they brought in to replace the Blizzard uh, leadership is leaving because she was offered less money than Mike Ybarra, her male counterpart. And Mikey Barr has gone on statement saying, we asked for equal pay for this co-leadership role. There's quite a lot there. Ah! <laughs> November 16th, new report alleges CEO Bobby Kotick knew about allegations for years. And I want to go into that because uh, this uh, report was from the Wall Street Journal by Kristen Grin, Ben Fritz, and Sarah E. Needleman. One detail that really needs to be said was the original of the original letter sent by uh francis uh that one was actually written by bobby kodak the letter that had gotten so much disdain from employees and led to so much walkouts was actually written by bobby kodak but he was too scared to put his name on it, I guess, and had it be sent from her email. November 17th, former Blizzard co-lead uh, Jen O'Neill finally goes on record to say she was offered equal contract only after resigning. 
So she was offered the, f the fair pay after quitting. Good job, Blizzard. November 18th, Xbox and PlayStation bosses speak out about scandal. November 18th, over 1,000 Activision Blizzard employees signed petition for removal of Bobby Kotick, which they should. November 22nd, Activision Blizzard CEO would reportedly consider stepping down if he can't fix the problems quickly. Sure. Aha. Uh -huh. Of course. Tenth time's the charm. November 22nd, Nintendo joined Sony and Xbox in calling Activision Blizzard crisis disturbing. 22nd again, Activision Blizzard quietly sets up a workplace responsibility committee. A few months late, but sure. November 30th, walkout organizer resigns, calls out Bobby Kotick's inaction. And that's where we are right now. So, in this entire mess, it could, I believe the story people always thought was, okay, Blizzard is the company that has the this horrible frat boy culture. Mm -hmm. Terrible things have happened. Completely unfair. It's good that this lawsuit is out. Activision just bought them, you know, like they merged with them. They didn't really, the CEO maybe didn't know about all this. No, he knew. He did not do anything appropriate. He did not tell shareholders. He sent out horrible statements that made more people angry. They put in a new boss for Blizzard. She was underpaid to her male counterpart, as usual. And on and on and on to the point where this cannot end any way than Bobby Kotick has to resign. There's not a chance this goes anywhere but that. I am kind of at a loss of words, to be real honest, right here. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm still kind of getting over the fact that Kotick writes a ham-fisted letter that is so completely tone-deaf, it puts a woman's name on it just to save his own his own rear end and then he actually has the gall to say days later that the initial letter that he wrote is tone deaf yeah there's just so many and the worst part is we didn't even go into the specific details one woman even uh alleged rape because it at a work event she was intoxicated too much and her male co-workers she alleged raped her. They settled that out of court, but that's where a lot of extra information came out. The fact, like, we talk about sexual mis uh, sexual harassment, misconduct, unfair pay, but we forget the specific details and what these poor female workers and male workers, they were subject to sexual harassment, not, not to the same degree, but they were subject to sexual harassment. It just overall created an uncomfortable workforce. All that these employees had to go through. And I'm just shocked that everyone didn't resign. These people love their jobs. They love what they do. And it is so sad that we cannot just have a workplace where they can not be harassed. I mean, I mean, and this is Activision Blizzard, but we talked, we mentioned Ubisoft briefly, mm -hmm. and they have the same uh, sort of work culture going on, and still have that work culture going on. 
allegedly. Yeah. And the same CEO is still staying on. So we can complain all we want, but I don't know at what point they have to take a leadership change. Maybe it is when their game stops selling as much because we have talked to us before, like I personally vote with my wallet. I try mm-hmm. to avoid Activision and Ubisoft titles from going forward. It's easier to get to ignore Activision Blizzard on me because it's really only Call of Duty and Overwatch lately. I mean, I know yeah. there are a lot of people who still love World of Warcraft, but it's really just those two franchises, and I never even liked them in the... I Well, I liked Call of Duty when I was in high school, but I outgrew that, and that's just not a thing I'm interested in anymore. Um... Ubisoft is a little trickier to navigate since I do have a bit of a soft spot for a franchise like Assassin's Creed, but I always make sure to, but if I did want to ever try any of those, I make sure to get it used and make sure none of that money ever sees Ubisoft. Yeah, that is honestly a good way to go forward. I'm looking at the one year stock price of Activision and since around July when the lawsuit first came out, they have lost at least around 20, 30 points on their stock. So before it was around 90, now it's around 57. So you could see that it is affecting them. What I'm worried about is people, shareholders mainly, will just look at the sales of these games and think everything is okay because they're so short-sighted. People will see the headlines that, hey, Activision is doing fine and nothing's going to change. And they'll think, what's the point? Let me just buy their games that I want to play. They won't see that long term. This is going to wreck their studio. Like Mm -hmm. development on World of Warcraft, as I said, was like halting. The lead of Overwatch 2 left. This is going to impact their schedules. This is going to impact management, which is way worse than... Like, these games are not just visionaries. These made by visionaries. These games are made by good managers who can set deadlines and say, continuous development, let's check for QA, let's move forward. This is going to impact it. They're not going to have as many games to release right away. Morale will be low. Many employees will think, why even bother? And they'll just not put in their full effort. And... This is all a result of the leadership. They Mm -hmm. own this. And they really have to take a good look and say, sure, we made a lot of money with Bobby Kotick's very simple-minded strategy, but is this going to continue forward? Because they didn't want to do the hard work and fix their culture. Well, just by looking at a few numbers, I saw that Call of Duty Vanguard was not was actually low on the UK charts. They tend to record this a lot better than the Americans sometimes. But apparently Vanguard is not selling as much as they had hoped. And I have no idea if and obviously this was before the Kodak stuff really came out this um in But it was Vanguard. after Activision Blizzard kept getting named in all these. But also mm-hmm. It's Call of Duty Vanguard, and I've heard nothing about it on my Twitter timeline. Everybody's just talking about Halo. Well, that too, but... I, like, it, it's shocking how few people are making any sort of acknowledgement of Vanguard. Like, I have seen more people talk about Battlefield 2042 
And that's only just to make fun of it. Sure. Hey. I'll... Well, I can't say all press is good press, because this press for Activision is definitely bad press. But... Oh, no. Yeah, we will have to keep a good lookout of these titles from Activision, because, like I said, Bobby Kotick's strategy was always a very simple-minded one of mm-hmm. Call of Duty every year, a few Activision uh, Blizzard properties like World of Warcraft and Overwatch, these big moneymakers... Don't worry about anything else. We'll have a few side projects like Tony Hawk, Pro Skater. We'll have some Crash Bandicoot. We won't try too much. So this is, they are very less diversified. They do yeah. not have quite as much IP that they're using right now. And when the heavy hitters fail, that it spells well, really bad news. Mm-hmm. It's a simple and concept strategy, but once you kick out one of the... Chi- one of the l- legs out underneath the table the whole thing comes crashing down yeah on some more happy news carl you got any movie news to yes uh we are gonna move away from uh some of the more risque stuff and we're just gonna go into some more news that's fit to say oh yes i want this uh so my first one is from the hollywood reporter this is our my our good friend Boris Kitt writes that Nicolas Cage is to star as Dracula in Universal movie Renfield. Uh, Nicolas Cage has made a career of biting into his roles with seemingly reckless abandon, even if he strayed further and further from studio movie making and sunk his teeth into indie cinema. Now in a deal sealed with a vampire's kiss. You can just tell he loved writing this, can't you? Cage is returning to a big studio movie and will play the meaty role of Dracula in Universal Pictures' monster movie, Renfield. Nicholas Holt is starring as the titular character, the vampire count's infamous acolyte and henchman, and the feature directed by Chris McKay, the helmet behind Amazon's The Tomorrow War, and the Lego Batman movie. McKay and Robert Kirkman are producing along with David Alpert, Brian First, and Sean First. McKay is producing partner Samantha Nisenboim, is executive producing. The character of Renfield originated in Bram Stoker's 1897 dr- novel Dracula as a patient in an asylum obsessed with drinking blood, deluded into thinking he will find immortality. He bows at the feet of Dracula, who in very definition of toxic work environments and codependent relationships, feeds him insects and rats and dangles everlasting life in front of him. It is unclear how Renfield takes on the dynamic as plot details are being kept in the coffin, but the project is described as a modern-day adventure story that is comedic in tone. I have a lot of issues with that um, producing uh, group that did the original the Star Trek reboot. Robert Orsi, Alex Kurtzman. Like, they... And you can see their influence with just the way movies after that Star Trek reboot looked think like amazing spider-man like it has this tone very similar to that this flashy transformers like tone and i don't i feel like enough movies have been made with this that is such a signature style that everybody is tired of it's a Uh, very generic blue-ish tint style oh where did this come from i have seen this in so many movies that kirkman has touched on and on and on and there is something this this, this isn't that kirkman this is robert kirkman okay well never mind not 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 
Kurt's men, Kirkman. Mm. Never this mind that. I was, I was wrong. This is the Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman. All right, I'm excited. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was about to say, wait a minute. What are you talking about? No, They're not what, even... When I'm thinking, Jack, you, you know what it reminds me of? Like, I, Frankenstein. And I'm thinking, like, oh, that type of gritty reboot of that, uh... It doesn't have much to say. It's just flashiness. And so that's what I was mainly terrified of. Well, you can rest assured this is not that movie. Okay, more Walking Dead, hopefully. Uh, so, to to me, this is the single greatest bit of casting news in the history of modern Hollywood. <laughs> really? Uh, okay, I'm just joking, but this is the first time that Nicolas Cage is coming back to the live-action blockbuster work from a major studio. Uh, he's been doing a lot of indie work lately, and he has done the occasional voice role, like... He was Spider-Man Noir in Into the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. So having him play the world's most famous vampire seems kind of natural for him. And having someone like Nicholas Holt to play his famous henchman kind of get makes me hope that this is going to be like a very off-kilter comedy horror movie that we mm-hmm. haven't really seen in a while. Because mm-hmm. if you've seen... Um, if you've seen The Great on Hulu, then you know Nicholas Holt is really funny. I have not, so I don't know that. I like his role in uh, X-Men and uh, Mad Max, though. Well if, it's a, well, if it's anything like the character in Mad Max, then I think we're in for a treat. Yeah, he's very memorable in that one. Yeah, so uh, that's the Dracula news, and... God, Nicolas Cage already looks like a vampire. It's already going to be great. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm willing to just accept Nicolas Cage in any role because he puts himself in every role. So I say, oh, he's playing this character? Sure. Why not? Uh, so just as a heads up, these are all coming from the same writer, uh, Boris Kitt from The Hollywood Reporter. These are all exclusive scoops that he got this past week. So... Little Mermaid, Aladdin filmmakers tackling DC comic Metal Men for Warner Animation. Animation legends Ron Clements and John Musker, the acclaimed team that spent decades at Disney making movies such as The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and The Princess and the Frog, are heading to DC. The duo have teamed up with Celeste Ballard, a writer who worked on Space Jam A New Legacy, to tackle anime feature The Metal Men. Hang on. these this duo you you forgot they also did treasure planet probably the greatest work they did treasure planet they did hercules and they did moana paul they have done a lot i don't know how this fits in dc but i'm excited so clements and musker are producing and have written the treatment for the film which they are eyeing to direct craig peck is executive producing Allison Abat, the former producer behind The Iron Giant and Corpse Bride, and now the head of WAG, is spearheading the project. Based on DC Comics heroes created by Robert Kaniger and Ross Andrew in 1962, the concept revolves around a brilliant scientist, William Magnus, and his creations, six highly advanced robots who have powers and personalities associated with their respective metals, gold, iron, lead, tin, mercury, and platinum. The group had its own title in the 1960s and then made frequent appearances throughout the DC Universe in the ensuing decades. 
The stories have vacillated in tone from the comedic to the somber, with the group at times being on the run from government agents or even being robot assassins. The group sometimes incorporate a whole periodic table's worth of metal elements as new characters. You know, when we get to these, like, very obscure characters, who cares anymore what their origins are? I'm very curious. This is Animation Studios, right? Yes, this is WAG. So this is still for a feature film. It's going to be in theaters. The last feature film from DC was Teen Titans Go to the movies. That is true, yes. Okay. Which depends how you look at it, but what, before that was... Batman, Mask of the Phantasm? Um, you're thinking a little further back than that. Okay. Uh, there might have been something earlier than that, actually. Uh, I know they're straight-to-DVD DC movies. At least, yeah, based around DC comic properties have been nothing but fantastic. They have tackled okay. so many great storylines. So here's the deal. There's been, There's always been an animation outfit with Warner Brothers, but it's kind of been restructured and reworked. The people that do the direct-to-video video, uh, ones tend to be the television people. Um, in this case, this is the slightly rebooted theatrical feature animation division. Uh, this particular version of the, that group uh, was resurrected in 2014 for the Lego movie. And their last movie, their most recent one, is the new Space Jam. Uh, when you look at Lego Movie, fantastic. Lego Batman, but Space Jam. Eh. If we're talking pure animation, it was Scoop back in 2020. Mm. Yeah. And their next movie is going to be DC League of Super Pets. First off, I cannot wait to see Crypto the Super Dog. I grew up on that show. I'm so excited. I am morbidly curious about that because I kind of have the same relationship with crypto too. Yeah. Um, but let's say we're just cautiously curious. We're cautiously curious, but it's just that this is news that I genuinely did not see coming, and Clemens and Musker are basically single-handedly responsible for di- for ushering in the Disney Renaissance back in the day. Right. And even if you don't know who they are themselves, you know what they've done. It makes me more confident that they chose the Metal Man, a very unknown property, because that gives them a lot of freedom. And to me, it kind of reminds me of Big Hero 6 in a lot of ways. Because No, it reminds me of Guardians of the Galaxy. Pick a very unknown um, IP... Really, it has some backstory, but absolutely nobody cares if you change the backstory or the mm-hmm. dynamics of characters and just let someone go loose with that creativity. Well, that's why I brought up Big Hero, because that it was in a similar situation as Guardians. Nobody knew who that team was. And mm. it's also relevant because that was done by Disney Feature Animation with an obscure Marvel Comics team. Now you've got two legendary Disney veterans teaming up with Warner Brothers to resurrect a fairly obscure DC Comics team. Okay, yours makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So I am really excited to see what those two do. They've made easily some of my favorite anime movies. I cannot wait to see more. And 
And for our last bit of movie news, we are hitting the bidding wars again. Because if it's anything Hollywood really loves, is a nice old bidding war project. Brad Pitt, Joseph Kaczynski, Lewis Hamilton racing project revs studios and streamers into bidding war. So, just I just kind of mentioned. The, so, a bidding war erupted Friday. Uh, this was uh, December the 3rd. For a racing project featuring bold-faced names that has studios and streamers burning rubber to get their gloves on it. The Untitled Project has Brad Pitt attached to Star and Joseph Kaczynski, the filmmaker behind the upcoming Top Gun Maverick, attached to the Grift. Veteran mega-producer Jerry Bruckheimer and screener Effen Kruger, who worked with Kaczynski on, on Maverick, are also part of the blockbuster pitch package. According to sources, offers have been coming in from studios Paramount, MGM, Sony, and Universal, as well as streamers Netflix, Apple, and Amazon. Even Disney, which normally sits out of these kinds of races, is on the course for this one. The story or take isn't clear, but sources say that Lewis Hamilton, the British modern racing legend, is also involved with the project. Pitt and Kaczynski have long tried to make a racing movie back in 2013. Pitt circled Go Like Hell, which had Kaczynski attached along with Tom Cruise. That project eventually morphed into Ford v. Ferrari, with a whole new actor and director combination. Hollywood has always maintained a fascination for fat cars barreling down the tracks, with the sport having visual appeal, high-stakes drama, and both hot-headed and cold-blooded personalities. The sport attracts Hollywood players, perhaps most embodied by Steve McQueen. And while some movies don't take, Ron Howard's well-regarded rush didn't find an audience. When they do, as in the case of 2019's Ford v. Ferrari, one gets box office, gold, box office and Oscar gold. So, uh... It was kind of a short article. In fact, I actually just read the article verbatim. So my thoughts were, these are some of the biggest names in Hollywood with this project. And there, and because of Bruckheimer's involvement, there's a whiff of Days of Thunder involved, which was an earlier film starring Tom Cruise as a NASCAR driver. This is Joseph Kaczynski. He doesn't make a lot of profit in the box office. His movie's tend to not that is the risky bet with it but again and i think a lot of project interest is with ford v ferrari having done extremely well um what interested me the most about it wasn't the fact that brad pitt was involved or jerry brockheimer and i could care less about kaczynski myself but what interested me was that Mercedes-Benz F1 driver Lewis Hamilton is involved. So that hints that this is going to be a more F1-focused movie than it is a NASCAR one. And F1 is not big in the U.S. No, it's not. But it is, in a way, more visually interesting because you have much more interesting track layouts. There is a point where some some like objects can move so fast that it's hard to visualize it. Like... Um, the story the story Rush was F one, and it became mm-hmm. that that point where like it was really hard. It was at a certain point hard to tell the drama of the racing. Whereas Ford versus Ford v Ferrari in the Le Mans race, that's that was the GT circuit. They have like five races going on at the same time. They have supercars that people ignore. They care about the GT races because those are cars that you could theoretically drive on the street 
and they are going at a certain speed, you can tell what's happening. It becomes very debatable to know like which racing movie does do, which one doesn't. There was some groundedness behind Ford v Ferrari that made it very understandable. Well, also, you had um, an interesting hook for a story. In a way, it's underdog versus Goliath, in a way. And in also, a way. I mean, we're still talking about two very big car companies in that movie. No, we're talking about Ford, the biggest car company, versus Ferrari, who's going bankrupt. But we're, we're, talk- we're, we're cheering talking- for Ford. We're talking in the context of... Oh, oh yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, that's right. Because of Yeah, it's a weird underdog story where like we're we're cheering for Ford the American company, but like they have all the money. It's very weird, but the that's like the sign of a good movie production where they made it relatable. They made you really care about these character arcs and knowing the story of the driver in that movie, I could tell this was a hard movie to get the script down right. Of like how do you pace this? Where do you have the big finale? How do you talk about the tragedy that may or may not occur? And the way they did it, I can tell, required a lot of rewrites and a lot of time to get down right. And also, you also had the relationship between Carol Shelby and Ken Miles that really anchored the movie more so than mm-hmm. the racing itself. Right. So I think my main point of concern with this project is going to be we really don't know what it's actually about yet. We do know that Lewis Hamilton is presumably a consultant on this one and that it has Brad Pitt and Joseph Kaczynski, um, Kaczynski being director and Brackheimer being a producer. Other than that, we know jack all. There's just that one feeling of like, when we look at the best car movies like for V Ferrari, it was the character relationships those dynamics mm-hmm. that sold the movie for many people yeah it was flashy in a very nice realistic way but it was those characters and this pro- production team doesn't seem like they are so above and beyond good with character relationships the way james mangold was in ford v ferrari where that's where most of my concern comes in like J- kaczynski i love tron legacy but it's mm-hmm. hard to get the heart of that movie out of it. It's really hard because it beats you over the head with it in the weirdest of times. I mean, it, it, like, it's kind of hard to really reconcile with Kaczynski a little bit because he's had Tron Legacy. He had done Oblivion with Tom Cruise. He's doing Top Gun, which looks fantastic. But again, we haven't actually seen the movie yet. We've so only we seen no- the visuals that look incredible. Like, he's always been a very great visual director, and I feel like it it's going to look really good when it, whatever comes out of it. But, again, we have no idea what it's going to be about, what the dynamics are going to be. And let me double check. Oh, yeah. But, like, this, ha- this happens to be a pattern with, like, directors that are great visually. You can sell a movie so well. But at the end of the day you might not get the story or the heart that you really want out of it. Hmm. So, again, cautiously optimistic. But hey, enough companies are bidding on it. Yeah, so it's going to definitely be interesting to see who it ends up going to. Um, My guess is with recent history, it could go to 
paramount, but we'll be we'll just see who's willing to shell out the cash. Universal's been on its hair, but um, yeah, Paramount needs some extra stuff for their streaming platform. Mm-hmm. On the topic of Paramount Plus, they recently started allowing IMAX changing aspect ratios on a couple of movies. So progress. But hey, technically Disney was first. They put out the IMAX versions of a bunch of their movies out on that service. Which well, still pisses me off that it wasn't on disc. Mm-hmm. All of Infinity War and Endgame were on the taller aspect ratio, and they didn't put it on the disc. Just because. Well, isn't that something? Well, I think that's everything that I've got on my end. Uh... Paul, do you have anything you'd like to add? No, I think we will add that we'll have some discussions about Spider-Man No Way Home, possibly for the next episode. Well, well, I'm going to be flying out of the country for the holidays on the 19th. So, uh, we unless you... Well, I don't go out fly out until late that Sunday evening. So, we might have time to record. We'll figure it out. But we'll the next time we talk, we'll definitely talk about that movie. Oh, yes, we will. We will definitely talk about that one. All right, It is guys. inevitable. <laughs> That's all the stories we have for today. Carl, hope to see you again next week or later. Or later. <laughs> good night, Paul, and good luck. <laughs>